Well, team, it looks like, right, everyone's thinking, is this the start of something bigger? I think that's what we need to start asking ourselves, right? We're starting to push. Can we get out of the range? Can we hold above 400 today? Something that I'll definitely be watching. Of course, we got our headlines to talk about United Airlines, Bank of Japan, Walt Disney, Microsoft, Moderna, Tesla. We'll talk about Albertsons, IBM, Big Five. And of course, we got our guest, David Lauer, CEO of Irvine AI. Stick around, team. We got a lot to talk about. And of course, 830 numbers coming in. PPI today, core retail sales. Sales, IEO monthly report, the beige book, industrial production, red book, so much coming in at 8.30. Get ready, team. Things are about to change. Let's get right into it. Pre-market prep, it's time to rise and shine. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, team, let's get in the rundown here. The SPY overall, pretty much nothing changing from the close. If you see, we closed at 397.76. Right now at 397 or 398.98. We'll see what happens. Can we get back into the 400? We were to tap it yesterday. Let's also talk, of course, WTI. I'll just put up the USO for right now. Uh, up towards 81.83. We'll look to see if oil continues to climb. Of course, it got down there at about 72. Was looking to see if we were going to get in the 60s, but that's actually holding well. Then DXY is down about 0.28% at 102.11. I think it's important to notice that the dollar index overall has pretty much done a 50% chart, uh, chart retracement there. So that's from the low in 2021 to the high in 22. We'll see what happens there. Of course, Bitcoin stocks have been making big moves. Um, MSTR, or you guys can look at Mara. Those stocks have been making moves. Bitcoin now to 21,206, the highest since November 2nd, 2022. Let's also bring in here Dennis Dick. Let's talk about what's going on in the markets and see what action brought yesterday. What do you see yesterday, Dennis? Um, interesting day. It seemed like it was a bad day if you were looking at the Dow, but that was not really the story. If you lifted mm -hmm. and looked underneath the hood, there was a lot of strength, especially in the Cathy-type names. The, the, it's obviously the stocks that you know are maybe trading with higher valuations. Leader of the charge was Tesla. Pun kind of intended there. 135.88 up another five dollars. We talked about this at 126 yesterday. I said there was a path for this stock to 150. I'm still sticking with that. I th still think there's a path to 150. Heck, we're almost halfway there. 10, well, not halfway there, but we're a third of the way there from where we were yesterday. So it's been a good two-day run here for Tesla. I thought about taking a position in Tesla. I did not. I still have my position in Rivian though. So um, I figured I had exposure that way, and Rivian had a pretty decent day as well. He had a lot of. It was an interesting day. A lot of stocks that were beat up. Obviously, over 2022, 
were the stocks that were rallying again yesterday. So January effect still very pronounced yesterday. And it was the leaders really of 2022 that were the laggards here. So big time January effect here happening, obviously, with the markets. And uh, yeah, that's what I saw yesterday. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sorry about the team that I don't have the futures charts. Some uh, in the chat asking for the futures. I don't have the futures, so uh, definitely need to go ahead. And I don't have pay for that data either, either because they always charge me too much money as a professional. They charge you different fees, and it was up to six or seven hundred dollars a month. And I was like, I don't need them because I got spy. That's all you need. Yeah, is spy. You don't need that's all I need features. really. That's all you need. I, you don't unless need you trade, unless anymore. you trade the futures, right? <laughs> yeah, but then you can it trade would make spies. sense. You can trade spy. The only time you need the futures is really between eight p.m. and four a.m. when spy is closed. That's yeah. when you need the futures. Otherwise, if you're sleeping during those times or not trading during those times, which I got to take some time off, you can't trade. If you trade sixteen hours a day, it's hard to trade twenty-four hours a day. So, and you know, obviously, I you know, I take the middle of the day off, so I'm not quite trading sixteen hours, but I'm trading a lot of hours. I don't need to trade. 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. anymore. I'm too old for it. So I don't need futures quotes. Spy is fine. I think there's one question we need to start asking ourselves. The chat is already talking about it. I, I've been talking about it. I asked even my guest yesterday. So Dennis, do you think this is more January effect or an actual pivot in the market that we're actually no, I think it's all you know, January getting effect. a rip? Everything that you're seeing happen is pretty much been calendar related. And we predicted this back last week of December. We predicted it. We were talking about it all through December. I said, when the calendar turns, these stocks could eventually start to show strength. And you've seen that. And you're starting to see it still turn here, where some of the leaders, Abvi, a, a leader in 2022, has had a rough 2023. So it's all rotation here at this point in time. Very pronounced, very obvious textbook market continues into 2023 the january effect you would think would be a textbook play there and it has been the only thing i'm you know feeling bad about is that we had a little bit of you know the 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 three days afterwards where we made new lows shook me out of some of those positions um i've done pretty good though overall and i've had my bias and my trading to be long in those stocks so i'd say i've had a pretty decent january so far but i feel like i really called it so i feel like a kind of you know i wish i would have you know Put a little bit of Tesla, maybe even in the long-term portfolio, even for a little ride as a swing trade or something like that. Back when it had the big reversal day from 101 to 114, when it got downgraded, couldn't take out the 100, closed, I believe, almost green that day. That was the turning point. Then we had the five days of consolidation. We did call this last move from the 125 to the 136. Now, do we get to the 150? Um, I think that's a target. I don't know if we get all the way there. I get. I do say we eventually are going to get some type of a rug pull here. In, in the in the way of an earnings warning from somebody major but overall here it's been a pretty decent january all right since we're already on tesla let's just stick to it let's give the headline of the day for tesla as it looks like there was a tweet out there uh, this came from platformer managing editor zoe shifter stating that twitter's revenue had declined 40 percent year over year she also didn't really give a time frame for this uh, but she also was stating, of course, about the first giant interest payment on the loan uh, from the financing of the Twitter deal is due at the end of the month. So just keeping this in mind, as some people are talking about, will Elon sell some more uh, Tesla shares to pay for this deal? Well, something to keep in mind, right? Mark and if he Marcus, does, yeah. what would happen to Tesla's uh, stock price then? 
Uh, right now, the Bulls are in control, though, so we just got to stick with you know what we're seeing. Read the tape; you can clearly see the Bulls are in control. They're not even thinking about this. I mean, the stock's up five dollars on this headline, so I mean, they're not even concerned with that headline whatsoever. It's zero, giving it zero. Um, I'm giving it zero too. I think it. I don't. Not, is he going to sell more stock eventually? It's possible, but we're really reaching a long ways. And you know what I see too? I mean, we can speculate that yeah, okay, Twitter's revenues may be going down here. I see a hell of a lot of blue check marks that people are paying for. A lot more than I thought I would see. So I see a lot of people who have like 50 followers with a blue check mark. Are those people all paying like $7 a month for that blue check mark? I would have never, ever, ever, ever thought that somebody would go and buy a blue check mark for 7 bucks a month. Is it that important to have that blue Dennis, check mark? I don't know. I'm, like I have I'm, the blue I'm, check mark, but I have the legacy I'm about to one. pay for it today. You're going to pay for it? Today. And, and then Today. you see, I don't know if I'm even going to pay for it. I was gonna I'm going to maybe let my blue check mark go. No, you won't, Dennis. You know why? Why? Because you'll be like me right now. I'm getting messages left and right about how people are trying to scam them under my name. No, this is, yeah, I know. It's, that's it's a problem. why you did we it, We need triple. a blue check mark because that's people are. That's why you are, did it. That's why I did it in the first place. Was that's why was you so did it in the first place. There were so many scam accounts pretending to be me. That's why I applied for the blue check mark to just try to help my followers because people were saying, oh, I'm reaching out to them. And, yeah, you know, I got to more than five messages already, Dennis. More yeah. than five the, messages. The, the, the fake accounts out there are out of hand. And, yeah. and it's going to get worse if it, obviously people, you know, some people are, are hesitant to get the blue check mark back, which, you know, I'm hesitant to pay for it. I don't want to pay for it, but I don't understand why somebody with 50 followers would pay for it. But maybe, you know, there's something cool that I don't know about. Do you get something else? You know, I don't know. So I have the legacy blue check mark, so I'm not sure if you get something else. But man, so that's, a, that's a lot of that's a lot of revenue coming in here yeah. that wasn't coming in before. Hopefully, we start getting some news from Twitter on their revenues. Right, that's another thing that since taken private. Elon really hasn't given us that news, right? Something that we need to keep out for. Um, if we do start seeing that turnaround in Twitter, like the overall outlook, do you think that Tesla will actually get a lift off of that? Um, yeah, I think if, I think there is a correlation. The better the Twitter does means, you know, less, obviously, less, you know, possibility is going to have to sell more stock. Okay. So I do think there's a correlation there. If Twitter does better, the Tesla does better as well. So I think I, uh, I, I'm, but I, again, you know, maybe there's some advertisers pulling, you know, maybe it, it's hard to say it's a private company now. So, yeah, you know, we don't exactly. have just, you know, all I do know is I see a lot of blue check marks out there and I'm like, all these people are paying $7 or in some cases, you know, it's $10 a month, I think in Canada. I mean, that's a lot of revenue that wasn't coming in before. So maybe the advertising revenues went down more than these blue check marks have made up for I'm not going to speculate on that because I don't have any sources. Obviously, we're not in Elon Musk to see what the books are. Or we're not in Twitter. We're not involved with Twitter. It's a private company. So they don't even have to show us that information. But, you know, maybe the Wall Street Journal, you know, is correct. It was a Wall Street Journal that came out with that article you were saying. Who, yeah. who was it that came out? Yeah, oh, maybe the, with the article for the, the Twitter? Yeah. No, this is just on tweet. This is this is this is getting passed around. I didn't. Oh, we it wasn't did pick even an it article. Oh, yeah, we did pick it up zero. in an article. We zero did pick weight. it up in in an article. Benzinga has it in an article. I think some other medias have it in. An oh, article. it wasn't even a, a major um, that reported this it, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, no, I'd give that zero weight. Yeah, this is an editor, um, and like I said, she didn't give a time frame. If she gave a time frame that she knew a little bit more into the revenues, then I would feel a little bit more confident of that mention. But just wanted to mention that that is the headline out there in Tesla right now, still pushing as we're seeing growth take lead.
Let's keep going into the headlines. Of course, uh, there was a headline, of course, on the Bank of Japan. That was important, but really, it didn't do much, right? I mean, if you guys saw the Bank of Japan did leave interest rates unchanged on Wednesday, keeping its government bond yield cap at 0.5. This caused a lunge lower for the yen, but then it quickly rebound back. Not seeing much effects in the market. You guys can see it in our overnight action on the SPY. Where did we go? Nowhere. So really not playing an effect into the markets. Just want to mention it because everyone was kind of looking at this to be a change. We didn't get the change there. Uh, let's I, go to the- I just think overall- the mm -hmm. S&P actually had a pretty decent day. You had a lot of stocks that really got beat up yesterday. A lot it of the value names, which we've been talking about, the value trade being somewhat crowded. You know, it's why I've been actually getting out of some of my value names. Um, so I think it had a pretty productive day, really, despite the Dow, major headlines, Dow down 350. Oh, what a horrible day for the markets. You look under that hood and there was a lot of stocks that did really well. I mean, Microsoft was downgraded yesterday. Was it, mm -hmm. Wasn't it yesterday? Am I losing yeah. track of days? Microsoft yeah, it down climbed the wall of worry. It closed it green. Wall of worry real quick. It closed green. It, right in that analyst's face. I mean, yeah. there is a buyers in tech stocks right now, and you cannot argue with this. Whether you're bullish or bearish, you cannot argue with the fact that the bulls are in control right now in the tech stocks. That could turn one tech morning, and it probably turns. But right now, at this moment in time, with the information that we have, the bulls are clearly in control in growth tech and value tech. That's where I start getting a little concern as we keep getting higher and higher. Now we're really starting to hit resistance. We'll see if we're able to get through it. 400 has acted as resistance before. Now we just got to find out. Let's go to our first earning stock of the day. And yes, you are clear for takeoff, United. Let's go to it. United Airlines, a Q4 adjusted EPS at $2.46, beat the $2.10 estimate. Sales of $12.4 billion beat the $12.23 billion estimate. United Airlines here, uh, quarterly consolidated passenger load factor at 85.2% versus 77%. Then when we start looking into their forward guidance, this is looking a lot better than last year, let's just say. United Airlines sees 23 adjusted EPS to $10 and $12 versus a $6.54 estimate. Q1 adjusted EPS of 50 cents to a dollar versus a 25 cent estimate. So it seems like the estimates are very low. United putting them way higher there, especially that 23 EPS to 10 to $12. Wow. 10 bucks, 10 to 12 bucks. This is the trade, Dennis, that I'm going to look back and be like, Mitch, come on. We're not going to look back. We're doing that right now. Yeah. I mean, at this moment in time, I'm I'm hitting myself on the head. I mean, this stuff. Look at that. Look at these January stocks. effect pronounced on this puppy. Ooh. Holy mackerel. And, you know, obviously it didn't have a crazy bad year in 2022, but it didn't have a great year either. I think it was slightly down. But, I mean. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight days yesterday, obviously inside days, so it didn't make a new high for the first time in eight days, but now it clearly looks like it's going to make a new high here today, unless something drastically happens different here in the pre-market. The earnings were good. The airlines are flying. Again, we use that pun that seems like every day for the last week, sure. but it's incredible, and these numbers that they're projecting are incredible too. I mean, people got the travel bug. They were locked up for a long time and people are still traveling. I keep thinking eventually they're going to run out of money, but maybe I'm wrong, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe I, people aren't going to run out of money. 
And maybe the sentiment, maybe, you know, people have just changed, that they don't worry about tomorrow because it's a YOLO, you know, world here now, pandemic showed us, and we only worry about today. Um, maybe that whole thing is what's keeping driving this economy, despite people's savings, we know declining significantly over the course of the last six months, credit card debt soaring over the last six months, yet people keep finding money to spend. So can't argue with this right now, UAL, and those numbers are scary. If you're short, I that's those scary numbers. Again, though, we've had such a run here, you can't chase it now. 37 to 53, you're talking about 16 points on 37, stocks up 50% in nine sessions. Basically, fifty percent in nine sessions here, Mitch. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can chase it at this point in time. Delta climbed the wall. Also, remember their earnings weren't nowhere near as great, right, as American Airlines outlook and United Airlines. But look at this comeback, right? This is that down day right here, top left chart. Look how much we've climbed back. We're almost back there towards that Thursday price action. So that just goes to show you if the Delta, even with a negative outlook, but all the other ones are giving positive outlook for the industry. Well, there you guys see it. Climbing that wall of worry here on Delta. Also UAL, let's see what happens on that. Can you get back to the pop? The pop went to 54.34. I expect to see some more resistance closer towards 53.50s. But if it can get through there, I'll look for that 54. We'll see what happens on UAL. Of course, we've talked about Jets, also the global uh, ETF. If you're looking at that. That's yeah, our buddy Frank kind of Holmes pushing. runs this one. Yeah, look at that daily chart. Look at that trend that we broke. I was waiting for this trend to break. And when it broke, man, no throwback look there. No, not Just even a retest. Sometimes breakout. you get the breakout and then you buy it on the retest. You get that's the what I was looking down. for, Dennis. I was and, looking and it, for and it. nobody got it. And that's nobody. why we just blasted off. So yeah. It didn't give us a chance, and I think that's an important thing there to kind of catch. We'll see what happens with these. And that's a driver. Yeah. I mean, it didn't give us a chance, and that's a driver in itself. You know, you see a lot of times where you don't get a chance, and that drives it even further because if you were short these things, the people buy, oh, I'll buy it on the check back. And you don't get the check back, and they're like just in real world of hurt here now. Anybody who's short these airlines is really in a oh, lot of yeah. pain here right now. Yeah, definitely. If you're short these airlines, you're feeling the squeeze for sure. Oh. We'll see what happens with them if they can get a pullback. I'm looking for it because I'm not going to go buying up here. I just feel like buying up here is just too difficult. It's, it's hard to me. chase them at this point in time, and it's okay to miss the trade. You know, I talk about this a lot on the show there too. It's okay to miss the trade. It's not okay to you know. And obviously, you know, we we're not going to get them all right, and we've missed this trade here too. It's okay. There's always another train leading the station. The worst thing you can do, though, is you know come in and chase a trade when you know you missed it because oh I've got to get in there and then it turns around and just turns on you and you turn you know what you were gonna have a good idea and you're like I got to get in and you get in late and then you end up losing on the idea. So it's okay to miss the train. It's not okay to jump on a moving train and this train has already or this air flight has well left the building. So yep, gonna have to wait for a landing. And hopefully it's a little bit of a smooth landing right back down. So but the numbers are so these. impressive here. So. They are. They are definitely. I mean, when you're given an EPS outlook for the adjusted the whole year and you're almost doubling that. Yeah. That just shows you enough, right? Let's keep going. Let's get to the next major stock that gave some news out there. That's Moderna. Let's take a look at this. I've been kind of focusing on Moderna because, of course, a big part of that IBB, just kind of focusing on that area also uh moderna announcing here mra mrna 
1345, an investigation of RSV vaccine has met primary efficacy in phase three trial. It looks like it got 83.7% against RSV, uh, lower respiratory tract disease defined by two or more symptoms in older adults. This is giving it a nice lift here. Will this get it started? I had this in the long-term portfolio once, and then I made 30 bucks, I think, on, and I took it out, and I wish I didn't take it out. Obviously, the stock is continuing to go higher here now. It actually did go quite lower after I took it out, so it actually ended up being a really good sale in hindsight, but now I'm looking at just coming back, and this company is just so well-run. This, you know, mRNA technology, you know, they're using and applying to different, you know, illnesses now, to the RSV to the flu, to the common flu from the COVID. I mean, it's just a game changer. And Moderna has fired on all cylinders the entire time. They got the vaccine out there so quick, so impressed with the management of this company. And I think, you know, the valuation is reasonable. The only problem is, you know, how much of it is sustainable if we're not going to get as many COVID shots in the future. I don't know the answers to those questions. That's what keeps me out of it. But I mean, if they're going to start doing going into RSV, they're doing everything right. You know, they, originally they were the one trick pony, the COVID shot, but now they're going into the flu vaccine and now they're going into RSV vaccine and they're going into other things and applying it around. They're spreading out. They're doing everything exactly like they should. Love this company. Love this company. Um, valuation is reasonable. I still can't get a handle on where it really is, though, because I still think the COVID revenues are going to go down substantially. But you're going to have revenues picking up the slack from maybe a flu vaccine, maybe an RSV vaccine. So that's, you know, the, the, the difference there. So still trying to figure out where it stands. But at this moment in time, I wish I owned the stock, but I'm not going to chase it. We'll see if we get a pullback here. Been an unbelievably run company. I'd have to agree with all that and keep your eyes on it, right? We'll see if we can get back there. Daily highs are trying to get back there, especially through kind of these these highs right here, the 208, 99, 209, 210 area. We can get above that 210 and close above that. I think you're looking good there to come for this 217.25. We'll see what happens there in Moderna. And for that case, I'm also watching IBB. Um, IBB already up a little bit. We'll look to see if it can continue getting the lift. Been looking at this daily chart, and it's looking like it's trying to get going again. Um, we'll see what happens there on IBB. If not, maybe you can also watch, of course, XLV to see what happens there, if that can get started. I know these have been kind of sideways sleepy. When I do see the turn going back to value, I'm definitely going to be really ready for the healthcare industry. All right, let's keep going. Let's get towards the next talk. Of course, Microsoft uh, talking about plans to cut thousands of jobs. Um, this some enrolls. Uh, this is for eliminated in human resources engineering divisions, according to media reports from Reuters. Uh, cutting jobs gives you a lift. It, it, the ratings on the wall that corporate revenues are going to struggle here in the back half of 2023 and they're all prepping for it to keep the bottom line up by obviously eliminating jobs seeing some jobs eliminated amazon meta salesforce which basically said they were going to go into a really tough environment if you listen to benioff and those comments were just flat out scary if you're long stocks um and then you know microsoft here too so you're seeing job cuts it's not indicate indicative that we're going into this huge raging you know economy that's just going to go running it's indicative that the economy is going to slow whether it's going to slow substantially or whether it's just going to slow a bit is still to be determined but the big tech companies are telling you that with these layoffs and you know what it was just the fat you know getting the fat out because just so much fat 
And obviously what I mean by that is overpaid executives, not talking, you know, the little worker, not talking, you know, the, the nine, I'm talking, you know, just the executives are just getting paid so much money for maybe not doing as much as they should be. Just like Musk was saying, when he went into Twitter, cutting out the fat, you know, and I mean, that's what maybe needs to happen because, you know, in good times, you know, it doesn't matter, but in the tougher times, you know, the, and these, these companies might be going into a little bit of tougher times. You can't be overpaying execs. Looks like now uh, Microsoft is denying that report, but I, I mean, I guess we'll figure out more and more what happened. Love the price action Microsoft. though. Yesterday we talked about this already. Gets downgraded, closes higher. That's good news for the stock. I'm still skeptical because I still think there's some tougher times coming, especially for some cloud names. Um, Microsoft obviously is involved there, but it's involved in a lot of other things as well. I just feel like it's gonna be a big gun that warns, and eventually we're gonna see some of these stocks fall four or five percent on that warning. So. Um, that's what keeps me out of these. Also, valuation Microsoft is not cheap, trading about 26 times earnings. Market multiple sitting down here around 18. Should it give Microsoft a premium? Maybe, but you know the growth isn't like what it was 20 years ago either. So um, I'm just out, and I had my Microsoft for a long time. It's a valuation call for me. If it came back down to a market multiple, I would rebuy it. All right, we'll see what happens there. Uh, two minutes, two minute, two minute warning there for Dennis. Three and a half, of course. yeah. On the uh, countdown here. So I may we'll have to leave day. you for a couple minutes, Mitch. I know that's why I got you two minute warning. On the number, here. I'll try to stay with you. If it gets crazy, I may have to leave for a few minutes. I'll try to get back there as quickly as possible. No worries, Normally, team. we got three people, so it's easy to do with Joel off this week. I will try to stay with you as long as I possibly can through this number. Um, if it's crazy though, and obviously, give us a preview of the numbers here right now, Mitch, just for everybody yeah, else to pay attention. So we're getting numbers, 830 numbers coming here in three minutes. All right. So there's a lot going to hit the tape here. I'm going to do my best to go ahead and just roll through it all here. I'm going to actually bring up the Benzinga Pro because it's just so much that this is why I, I sometimes like using the Pro to kind of describe what's going to happen. Look how much numbers are coming out here today. Look at all this. This is all coming out today. All this in the U.S. So that just goes to show you how much you got to be aware of numbers. Holy. All these numbers are coming out today. All those numbers. So then I'm just going to point to the 830 ones, right? Because that's going to be mattering right now, right? And so you guys can pay attention. Retail sales mattering, right? That's going to definitely make changes. Uh, the consensus right now is a negative 0.8 prior with negative 0.6. We'll see what happens there in retail sales. Also, we'll get core retail sales. We'll see what happens there. PPI, also the major one, right? We need to see what happens there in PPI here. Uh, you get... PPI year over year, uh, the, the reading right now is 6.8 consensus prior was 7.4. We'll see what happens there. Core PPI also 5.7 uh, prior was 6.7. And we're going to get a lot. We'll also get the beige book. We'll get uh, industrial production, red book, wow. IEA monthly report. There's a lot coming in here. And that's not to mention all the other things that are coming in during the day. So yeah. get ready, team. A lot can change today. And also, what do you see here a lot? FOMC members speaking. Bullard at 9.30. Bolsic, 9 a.m. Don't miss it, team. There's going to be a lot of FOMC uh, kind of talk. Of course, the Fed can't help themselves. Harker at 2 p.m. So don't miss that one also. Uh, so you get a lot of Fed talk today and the numbers coming in. I, I didn't even want to put them on the bottom because there's so many numbers that I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to pull it up here so you guys can see it yourself. Uh, but definitely going to see what happens there. PPI, I think, is the more important. Retail sales, of course, is going to shake things up. We'll see what happens there. 
Um, and we'll see if it affects some of the retail plays. A lot of these stocks have gotten the lift lately. Let's go back to it. I'm going to pull this off to see the price action and get you the news as it hits the tape, right? We'll see what happens there. A lot talking out there. Uh, yesterday, of course, uh, you, we did get more Fed talk. We're going to continue hearing from them. Today, it's going to be important to hear what they say from the numbers that we get. SPY overall right now just kind of hanging out here at 398.75. Yeah. Really, I'm looking to see if we take out 400 on the upside. Any downside action, I'm just going to kind of watch. Um, not really be kind of reacting to that downside action. It's more that breakout through the 400 where, who knows, maybe we just take off through that level and we get out of this range. That's when I really think you'll be hearing some people mention that, hey, this could be the start of something bigger. We'll have to keep watch. Of course, the SPY has been trying to get back up there. It's just been topping out here around the 400. We'll look to see if we take that next step up. It looks decent. All right, there's the action there. Dennis, if you need to go wide, go ahead and go wide, my friend. We're starting to get a little We're bit wide of right some now separation. Yep. Yeah. Could see that separated by almost about a buck there for a second there. Yeah. Now we're about like 30, 40 cents. We're we'll trying to figure it out here. what they want to do. Here's here. PPI December negative 0.5% versus the net uh, negative 0.1. So PPI coming down fast. That's, that's a good level. Core PPI at 0.1 versus 0.1 estimate. That's coming in line. Then we look for year over year December number 5.5 versus the 5.7% estimate. 6.2 prior so that's looking good inflation coming down a little bit we're getting a little spike here in the spy look how it stopped at 400 zero zero so that just goes to show you how much that is acting as resistance right now we'll look to see if we take it out here retail sales coming in now month over month december negative 1.1 percent versus zero a negative 0.8 percent so uh kind of a worse than expected retail sales number that should be that should be a good thing for the market, right? Bad news, good news still, at least for right now, seems like it makes sense. We'll see what happens there in retail sales. Also getting core retail sales in December of negative 1.1% versus a negative 0.4% estimate. Prior was negative 0.2. We'll see what happens there. Core retail sales showing weakness. Retail sales showing weakness. PPI coming down slightly on the year over year, about 0.2. That's good outlook for inflation. Um, core PPI just coming in at estimates and month over month is where we really start seeing the decline. Wholesale prices falling about 0.5. That's a good outlook for the market right now. Well, it looks like we didn't get the it doesn't blast know what off. it wants to do with it. We got yeah. a little bit of a lift. We went wide. We're up about five, six points on this number. Nothing too crazy here yet. Um, obviously, no more can happen. The number looks fine. The headline number looks fine. But you get these inline numbers in December PPI, 0.1% versus the 0.1% estimate right now. Um, it's kind of in line. So the algo is like, eh, you don't know what to do with it. It's not a clear miss. It's not a clear beat. It's kind of in line. So wishy-washy. So that's what you're seeing is wishy-washy trading here right now. We got a little bit of a lift up, you know, and now we're trying to give it back here. So they're not sure what to do with this number. All right. Just put up there for you guys to see the year-over-year -year number. Sorry, I couldn't get the banners up fast enough. Only one producer, only one mind. But I'm trying to do my best to get you guys those numbers. I read them out clearly there for you guys. And now I'm putting them up as a banner so you guys can catch them there. Looks like the SPY went to that 400 again, 405. 
rejecting that, that's going to be the level that I'm watching. I think it's so vital to actually start closing above 400. Even the Bears will start getting scared, especially if you start seeing that close outside of the range, especially uh, on the daily. Um, we've been looking at these levels, right? What's going to happen when we actually get through here? Are we going to get back here towards these December 13 levels? Because if we get up there to 410, really, I mean, anybody that knows technicals starts looking at this as more in a bullish pattern than a bearish pattern because you're starting to break the trend, right? We'll see if we actually break the trend today. Of course, we've talked also about the 200-day moving average. Not going to get into all that, but look to see if we get above 400 today. We're Let's get back into the action. Now. now we're starting to leak here, yeah. starting to turn back around there. Rejections of those 400s. We've now rejected that move about three to four times. We'll see what happens if we can get through it in the intraday action. But definitely a little bit of a turnaround there chop. from the first spike. Yeah, we're into the chop fest here now, the market. So just trying to maneuver here. Obviously, um, now we're kind of almost coming back to where we were. We were right around, we're, we're down a little bit from where we were. You know, prior to the number, we rallied about 10 handles. We gave it all back. Chop. They don't know what to do with this number. I don't know what to do with this number either, so I'm just kind of taking the algo's lead here. But it feels like we're just going to chop around here because this is, again, just not a clear number either way. So I think you're just going to see a lot more chop. Which what do we? How do we trade, trade choppy markets? You buy the dip, sell the rip, short the rip, buy the dip. I think that's what you're going to be in store for here today. A little bit more chop. All right, let's go to see how it's maybe affecting the banks. Yesterday, right, we saw JPM pull back a little bit here. I'm going to go to the hourly charts to kind of show that. We saw those pull back. Morgan Stanley, so strong. Can this continue, Dennis, today? I mean, what a rip yesterday because yeah. Roman sacked. It got the sack yesterday, that's for sure. Um, the banks just struggling a little bit of a mixed signal yesterday. Was looking to see if Goldman Sachs was going to work its way back. Didn't really do much there. Morgan Stanley staying strong there. We'll look to see Bank of America started making its way back yesterday a little bit. Didn't really break through the lows after that first initial move. So we're going to see if these can start coming back. What do you think about the banks overall, Dennis? Oh, that pair trade, Morgan Goldman, what a blowout there. And a lot of people trade pairs. And if you were putting that on the open, say, well, Goldman opened down, Morgan opening up, usually that will you know come back in. Not the case whatsoever. It continued right from the opening tick. Morgan going straight up, Goldman going straight down. Unbelievable price action there to see him going in the opposite direction. I didn't think the numbers were that crazy both ways, but you know, fundamentals, people will justify, the media will justify <laughs> it. But really, it was just a blowout in that pair. And what do we mean by a blowout in the pair? Typically, Goldman and Morgan move together, but this was a blowout, meaning going one way and the other way. And that catches a lot of relationship based traders on the wrong side where they think, oh, it's getting out, it'll come back in. Man, it just kept blowing out, blowing out, and blowing out, and getting worse yesterday. And sometimes those can last a while when they blow out like that because you catch so many of those relationship-based traders on the wrong side of the pair. I'm glad I wasn't one of those who got caught. I was looking for that relationship, Dennis. Yeah. But then as soon as I saw Goldman Stack continue that breakdown where it went to like 360, I was like, nah, this is a little bit different. Morgan Stanley's still holding here. That, especially that first bounce when the market was coming down and Morgan Stanley was staying up, the relative strength you could clearly see was in mm -hmm. Morgan Stanley. That's what gave me that signal that, hey, relationships not really working today. We'll see what happens there. 
All right, again, let's... as a pair trader, you got to watch when they start breaking out one way. You got to know your risk parameters. You can't just say hold it. And that's the one trouble with pairs. You know, when you're trading them, it's like, okay, where do I get out when it's not working? You know, yeah. you get one side on, the other side on. And it's supposed to be a hedge, and all of a sudden the hedge isn't working, and it's going like this on you, and you're losing on both sides. I mean, that's where you know you've got to understand your own risk parameters within that hedge itself, and realize that hey. Something else is happening here. There's a repricing of these two stocks versus each other here right now, and that's trouble. Get oh, into do the we have action. Dave hiding in the background yeah. here yet? Let's go ahead. We'll, we'll get out of the market. Let's get to our interview today. Dave Lauer, CEO of Irvine AI, excited to talk to you today about some market structure. And then we'll get into a little bit of AI talk because it seems like it's definitely out there. We'll talk a little bit about it. <laughs> oh, but it, uh, these days it's Irvine Finance. But yeah, we can talk AI too. Yeah, of course. Of course. Let's get into the action. Let's let's talk about it. First, let's talk about market structure talk. It seems like you had a recent conversation, of course, with uh, CEO. Uh, S-S-C-E, C-E, look, look at me, S-E-C, uh, Gary I'll Gensler. jump in here, Mitch. I'm sorry, I'm a little tongue-tied right tied now. here this morning, so Trying to do obviously, a little bit. Dave, you, you, had, you had the meeting with Gary Gensler there, S-E-C chairman. How did that go? I mean, how did that set up? I mean, what a good you know interview there to, to be able to get Gary Gensler to come in and talk market structure with you. The person who's obviously you know redefining market structure right now to get him on there. How did that all come about? Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, as always, Dennis, Mitch, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah. And, you know, Dennis, I was actually looking back, trying to figure out, I've been coming on for a long time, not not all that frequently, but man, it's been almost, I think, 10 years now. I, I think so. You were, yeah. you know, you and, and when you were working back with Chris and Aggie, we had yeah. you guys on multiple times there. And I think, um, you know, we started the show with Ben Zing, I believe, back in 2013. So it's been about 10 years. And you guys were some of our first guests. So I think you're right, Dave. Yeah, it's been about 10 crazy. years. And, you know, obviously with, with Chris a long time, and now you're working on your own there. Um, but, you know, we've always been, you know, me and Dave have agreed on like 98% of everything, I think. Yeah. So we've had some commonality there and I'm still with you on the majority of the stuff. But what do you think? First of all, Gary's on your show there um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and giving you a lot of feedback, giving you a lot of information. Um, what are your thoughts here? What are your thoughts well, on yeah, first and, and, the changes that they're trying to implement? And, and, and you know, how it came about real quick is... Yeah. Um, you know, we we launched this initiative that we call We the Investors, and it's a grassroots advocacy campaign. You know, as you guys understand, retail investors are a new force and presence in markets today. Um, and as they've learned more about market structure, uh, they've <laughs> they see it how a lot a lot of the, how we see it, Dennis, which is you know the, the the conflicts of interest, the problems, the complexity. So you know what we did was we delivered a petition to to the chair um, last summer with almost 72,000 signatures saying, awesome. let's get rid of payment for order flow and let's get rid of excessive off exchange trading. Let's get markets back to, you know, the price discovery mechanism, the lit exchange system that, that we think they should be and, and try and get away from some of this, this casino. And, uh, and you know, it, it resonated. We, we've had really good engagement with the chair's office. We knew he was working on some of these new rules and he wants to come and, and meet you know, the new retail investor, these individual investors and talk to them directly. I mean, that's why he reached out. Um, and so that's what we're trying to facilitate. And, I, you know, I think we'll be doing more of those. It's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, it, it's obviously on the back of 
these new rule proposals that are the biggest yeah. changes in markets in 17 years, right? Yeah. Since Reg NMS was adopted, um, these are the most fundamental changes. Uh, and, you know, a, a couple of them, I think, are just a really big deal, including, you know, the tick size changes mm -hmm. and tick size harmonization, mm -hmm. which is something, you know, everyone might be focused on the fact that they're talking about shrinking tick sizes, which, you know, I think there's, there, there's good and bad to it. And there are good ways and bad ways to do it. I think they're going too far. We can talk a bit about that if you want. But yep. what, most importantly, is that they're talking about harmonizing the tick and trade increment on exchange and off exchange. And today, off exchange wholesalers have an advantage over the the on exchange you know the exchanges and the on exchange traders because they can trade at any increment they can trade at four decimal places you can't do that on exchange right that's a weird and unnecessary advantage so you know in harmonizing tick sizes we're talking about leveling the playing field making exchanges more competitive uh, reducing the access fee caps to make them less expensive and then of course there's there's the order competition rule, which is probably, you know, the most significant change and the most controversial change of all the proposals. I mean, maybe we should just jump into the changes in tick sizes first, because this is what the this is what your little guy, this is what your retail investor is going to notice substantially. And do we have a projected date of when this could be implemented? I know it's in the uh, comment period right now. Nothing has been, you know, put in stone here yet. Is it like looking at like probably the second half of 2023 to implement this? What do you what are your thoughts I on think the, the date? Yeah, the, the timing is a great question. It's hard to know. So the, the comment period is going to run through the end of March. Okay. Let's assume six months, something like three to six months to finalize and then adopt it. Um, and so, you know, let's say adoption sometime in Q3, beginning of Q4. And then there's going to be an implementation period. Um, now that I think the, the implementation period in the tick sizes is, is imagined as a quarterly rollout. So it could be that within a quarter of adoption, the new, the tighter half a penny tick is, is adopted. Um, and so, and then it would be another quarter to move down to two tenths of a cent and then another quarter to move down to one tenth of a cent. So the way that the, the tick size changes are envisioned, and, and I, I'm just speaking to tick size because I yes. think some of the other parts, like the order competition rule, for example, the implementation is gonna be very different. It's, it's a bigger change, but also if it's approved, the first thing that happens is gonna be Citadel and Virtu suing the SEC and trying to get an injunction. So that that could be quite a ways off. But you know, the tick size changes, I think, will have a significant impact on off exchange trading just to start. Um, and, you know, the way they look at it is they say, OK, look, we see a lot of names are tick constrained, right? They trade mm -hmm. often at a penny spread. That means that, that they could be trading tighter. tighter, right? And so let's start by going to half a penny spread. So you'll be able to put orders into the market at a half a penny and you'll be able to execute orders at the midpoint, which would be at 25 mils, quarter penny. And, you know, I think that's a really good, I think for some of these names, getting down to a half a penny tick size is a really worthwhile thing. I think for other names, as I think you do as well, yeah. maybe spread should be wider. Yeah. Um, and that's why we think that the proposal that's been put out by the SEC, while it's good, it, it could be better. Yeah. Um, I don't think we need two tenths of a cent, one tenth of a, a cent tick sizes. Maybe I could be convinced otherwise, but that seems like a, that seems problematic to me. 
But I, I like NASDAQ's original intelligent tick size proposal, which was go down to half a penny for tick constrained names, but go wider for the names that are trading wider. Yeah. Right. And, and, and then you'll see better liquidity out there too. Yeah. And I have very similar thoughts here. I think a stock like, let's just give some example, like Sirius XM Holdings, which is trading 597 to 598, sometimes for an right. hour at a time, could easily trade 597.5, you know, or 597, you know, if they want to go tighter, tighten those spreads on those ones, because yeah. obviously it's just a better price. Because right now, if you send a market order, you know, they can get 598 if you're buying it, 597 you're selling it. Well, if it's, if it's trading at a tighter um, tick, you're going to get like that point if they go down to point two on that you're obviously going to get you know a lot better price like 597.4 597.6 and you're talking a thousand shares you're talking two bucks here four bucks here all that can add up so i kind of like it on that yeah. the problem is i keep looking at this amazon and thinking that point two bucket might actually grab amazon and do i want amazon trading nine six seven two nine ninety six seventy four four ninety six seventy six six and then I have the concerns, which I've talked about this before with you too, Dave, is, um, and, and, I, and, and I can't believe, you know, that regulators aren't considering this, and I hope it would show up in the comments, um, about the old quit, uh, quote flickering problems that we had in 2006. Yeah. Because before yeah. Reg NMS came in, you had, basically, it was a free-for-all, and you had subpenny quoting all over the place. And then they were looking at this, and they specifically said in the Reg NMS implementation that this quote flickering was a problem. And what that was, it was algos penny jumping, sub-penny jumping each other. And the quote would change so rapidly that you couldn't even see what the quote was. So I do think you could have that issue re-arise here again, where investors are trying to hit the bid. Well, that's not the bid anymore, and that's not the bid. Totally. And they're moving exactly. around. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so your thoughts there, I mean, um, obviously there's four buckets they proposed. One was obviously for stocks under a dollar, which are going to get really tight, which, you know, that's probably fine. They already can trade in sub pennies, but then you go into the half bucket. I like the half size yeah. stick. It's this point two bucket that I'm kind of afraid of. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think it's too tight. We told them that we knew they were considering 10 mils, uh, and we met with them and we said, don't, there's no one wants that. That's the funny thing. Yeah. I have yet to meet someone who wants a 10 or a 20 mil bucket. I, I've met some people who are like, look, if they do it, fine, we're going to deal with it. But I haven't met anyone arguing for it. And I'm struggling yeah. to figure out like why they're going in that direction. Um, whereas I met a lot of people who, when I say, what about the NASDAQ intelligent tick size proposal, which, you know, takes it down to half penny, but widens it out on the other side and, and really like measures the, the effective quoted spread or, you know, the, 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 the quoted spread, the average quoted spread over time and adjusts based on that, not quite like MIFID in Europe, but, you know, some, somewhat along those lines and, and everyone seems to be like, yeah, that's a really rational approach. So I think quote flickering is going to be a problem. Yeah. A lot of names, if you go down to 10 or 20 mils um, and, you know, we're going to have in our comment letter that we don't like that. We don't see it as necessary. Let's start. Let's just start by going down to half penny. Now, what, what the SEC, I think, will come back with is to say, hey, we're just, you know, if it goes down to a half a penny and it's it's really tight, why not tighten it more? And then if yeah. it goes down to 20 mils and it's really tight, you know, we're measuring it over a quarter, why not go down even more? And, and you know, it's, I, I get the, I get sort of where they're coming from, but I also think that the people I talk to who understand markets, 
Think about the problem you're talking about. Think about the overwhelming amount of data that this is going to result. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine <laughs> the exchanges trying now to figure out the, like we complained yeah. about that. I never even thought about that. Like the, yeah. the data. And we've talked about that for years too on the show with you. Right. I mean, exactly. all of a sudden, you know, they overwhelm, like they think the servers are overwhelmed now. Yeah, now you got sub penny quoting all over the place. And like, you know, it's, as a company that brings in all this data yeah. and hopes to analyze it, like that's going to, you know, it's just, it's annoying. I think a lot of people are set up to be able to handle it, but it's going to be a massive cost uh, in terms of that, you know, and, and so I, I, I question the benefits there. Um, I've been going through the rule proposal. I don't know. The economic analysis is pretty good. Like if you read, the actual rule proposals. I think the SEC did a really good job. They're really well thought through. Um, and within this one, for example, this is a broader set of changes to Reg NMS. It's tick size changes. It's a reduction in the access fee cap. And it's an acceleration of some of the market data infrastructure changes, like uh, changing the definition of a round lot and including the best odd lot in the market data feeds. So, you know, that's a good, easy sort of non-controversial change. Dropping the access fee cap is good because the access fee cap at 30 cents per hundred shares or 30 mils is, is too high. And, and it, it means that rebates gravitate towards there. Yeah. Um, again, my, my point on access fees has always been forget the access fee cap. Just get rid of rebates and payment for order flow yeah. and get rid of the, the access fee cap and let exchanges compete down to like two mils aside. And what's wrong with that? Yeah, I mean, if you go down to the root of the problems, access fees probably were the start of the root of the problems because you got the re. And what we mean by access fees is if you're a if you're a trader, and obviously you know you see you know a TD Ameritrade or you know wherever you're trading, you know you don't see these fees because they're absorbed by your broker. But for you to lift an offer or hit a bid, um, your order if it goes onto the exchange, it's, it can be up to zero point three cents to do that. So if you're buying a thousand shares. Your broker could could get charged three dollars just for lifting that offer, and that's why they take it off exchange because the off exchange market makers not only don't charge them that thirty mils, they actually pay them for that, and that's the payment for order flow that Dave's been talking about for right. so long. So really, if you're going to abolish payment for order flow, you kind of got to get rid of all of it together. Get rid of the yeah. access fees. Get rid of you know the payment for order flow, and let's just get back to you know what you know. We don't need all these fees and stuff involved. Yeah. Let's just How get about, back to supply and demand. Exactly. How about broker's route based on execution quality? How about the price on the lit exchange reflects supply and demand? And we actually have price discovery and we actually have liquidity and, you know, you get juicy orders, you get those non-toxic, yeah. low adverse selection orders onto the exchange. And, you know, let's see what happens when you have actual open competition for order flow. You know, that's what, I mean, as you know, we've been pushing for a long time. Um, and, it, to the SEC's credit, you know, that's what they're trying to do when you put these rule proposals together and you look at the tick size changes and you look at the order competition rule, which, again, is probably the most significant change. And it, the order competition rule basically says that for marketable retail orders, uh, they have to either be executed at the midpoint if you send it to a wholesaler or it has to be sent to an auction on exchange. Um, now, you know, how's those on exchange auctions going to work? Now, this is interesting in itself, and it sounds yeah. very complicated. It we does. Have, like, exactly. A thought process on how that is going to work? Yeah. So the, the the rule proposal is extremely prescriptive. So it it lays out all the parameters for the auction. So 
first of all, you have to have at least, I think, 1% of mar market share to qualify in to run a retail auction. Uh, the auction has to be open for at least 100 milliseconds, up to 300 milliseconds. You have to broadcast out the size and the side uh, of the order. And then you, you, know, you get all the interest, it comes in, and then you run the auction. Um, now, you know, this is obviously going to happen faster than humans can process, 100, yes. 100 to 300 milliseconds. But for most of the smart order routing systems, they would be able to respond to that in time. Um, it would bring in interest from asset managers. It would open competition up from other high frequency trading firms, other market makers, other proprietary trading firms like you guys. Right. So um, it, it would at least expose retail orders uh, to competition. Um, now, I, I think, again, as we've talked many times in the past, I'm in favor of a much sim simpler approach, a, a Canadian style trade at rule, which is similar. It says you can execute at the mid off exchange or, or you have to route that order to an exchange. That's yeah. it. Right. And within that framework, you could certainly have auctions, but they wouldn't be mandatory. You know, you'd be able to just send it to an exchange. And again, with tighter spreads, I think exchanges could compete at the same levels of price improvement as the wholesalers do today, even more, because it, it, the SEC rule proposals went into this and found that uh, the market makers on exchange are actually more competitive than those off exchange today. You know, they're giving more price improvement per unit of adverse selection on exchange than wholesalers are, which is why wholesalers make so much so much money uh, at this practice. So, you know, given that that's the case today, I think the future state would be even better. I think retail investors and institutional investors would get much better executions. But yeah, the, the, the retail auction facility is a bit overcomplicated. It's a bit prescriptive. It doesn't leave room for innovation. You know, it doesn't leave room for things like call, uh, call auctions. Or I'm sorry, this is a call auction. It doesn't leave room for like batch auctions which would be a, a cool model too, where you could bring in a bunch of interest over hundreds of milliseconds maybe, and then run the auction. You know, they're, they're all different models of auctions that I think would be interesting to see play out. Um, and, you know, an, an opportunity for exchanges to actually compete on innovative models, which they haven't really, you know, been able to do or been willing to do because most of the competition is around fee structure these days. Yeah, and I mean, the bottom line, what, you know, Gary Gensler and the SEC is trying to accomplish with these changes is that, you know, and if we look to, you know, overall market volumes, we've been migrating off exchange for the better part of 15 years, really since Reagan MS came in in 2007, we've really seen off exchange volumes continue to go up. And it's gotten to a point where it's almost half the volume now. And I think you know there's a tipping point here where and and Dave you've talked about this so much where if you get too much volume going off exchange that all of a sudden you know the prices on the exchange aren't as competitive because market right. makers who are on the exchange are saying why am I quoting on the exchange I can just go off the exchange and then they're not quoting at all and that's been always my biggest thing is you know here you are sitting on the bed and then you have a market maker just matching your price well what is my incentive to exactly. there. Right. Everybody else is just allowed to match me. So now we're going to put auctions in front of me. I mean, so am I really going to be incentivized to put my bid out there? Because, you know, now we're going to put an auction. We're going to try to give a little bit more price improvement in between it. But the root of the whole problem really is, is that the, the person who is on the exchange, the traditional market makers quoting, you know, making the markets on the exchange right now are not incentivized to do that because they're all moving off exchange. 
because they don't have that, you know, risk of getting picked off, first of all. And second, you know, the, the spreads, you know, are wider, so it works better for them too. So, I mean, now you get auctions in front of me. It sounds all just a, a little bit more complex than what I think it needs to be. But I guess, you know, if we just all of a sudden, you know, they, they don't want to, you know, stir up so much that they ban everything. So they're trying right. to find a Band-Aid solution here too. So yeah, um, and it'll be know, the, estimates, the estimates I've heard are that spreads on exchange are 25% wider than they otherwise would be in the absence of off this level of off exchange trading, right? That's huge. That's a massive cost yes. um, to, to everyone in market yes. from, from retail to institutions. So, you know, I, I, the, the good news though about the auctions is that the lit orders on the continuous book would get priority, um, at least under this current proposal. So there is some incentive, but I could easily see exchanges rolling out uh, order types, for example, where you can put an order into the market to display, but you could add like a discretion for a price improvement retail auction saying, oh, I'm willing to price improve up to here, you know, if it's within an auction. Um, I, you know, I, I think there will be some creativity, uh, but again, I, I'd like to see a simpler solution to it. All right. Well, I can say this is probably above my own pay grade and you guys can see that. And I would say that definitely I'm glad to have guys like this. Dennis and Dave, they're battling for us on this end, right? And we're, we're previewing this. something because you're going to one day later this year wake up and you're going to look at your quotes and you're going to be like, what the heck is what all happened? this? So me and Dave <laughs> are trying. I know it's very complicated the conversation, but you're going to be like looking at these sub penny quotes and you're going to be like, I don't even know what to do with this. So we're trying to give you a little bit, you know, a, a, a Cole's notes really into what is going to be happening preview. later this yeah, year. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. And, you know, look, if, if you're hearing this and you care about these issues, uh, we are running a grassroots advocacy campaign that we call We the Investors. Um, and, you know, what, like I said, we, we have gotten a seat at the table with SEC commissioners and chair. We've talked to legislators about these issues. We care about these issues. Um, and, and this is the time to strike. Uh, yep. we're, we're also working on other issues around uh, shorting and FTDs and, and that type of thing. And, you know, some of the just the other distortions in markets. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's really a great time in market structure. It, it's an SEC that wants to change things finally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's really exciting, I think. I, I am excited for the change. I mean, we started talking about these issues even before we were on the show, Dave. I think I met you probably back in 2010. So we've been 13 years talking yeah. about all these same issues with no changes whatsoever. So it is exciting <laughs> right. that they're trying to address some problems. It's really remarkable. <laughs> <you> yeah. <know? laughs> all right. Dave, let's leave good off. luck with everything. We love having you. Thank you. Definitely. Let, let's leave off the last little comments there. I just wanted to make sure at least you got a chance for a second to mention about Irvine Finance. Uh, can you just give a little quick little description about what it is and how you could use it, Dave? Yeah. Irvine Finance, again, it's a, a platform for retail investors. We're, we're bringing you professional quality data and tools. You can sign up for our beta. We're just about to go live with it. Um, it's also, we're, we're really trying to build a, a platform where communities can come together and share information and using the same professional data. You know, we've seen on Twitter, we've seen on Reddit, how these communities self-organize and really want to share information, but they're coming from all different sources. You don't know what you can trust and what you can't, you don't know what it means sometimes. So we're, we're trying to solve that problem. And then we're also building out a whole set of educational resources. Uh, to teach people about investing, about markets, 
um, about you know financial literacy, whether you're you're you know a, a beginner who's brand new to markets or you know an expert who wants to learn more. Uh, we're trying to to cover sort of that full spectrum, and then if you know, building out We the Investors, which is our grassroots advocacy movement. So, you know, really focused on on retail investors um, and and really trying to level the playing field, you know, in every way that we can from an advocacy and, and a data and tools and, and community perspective. Well, thank you for joining us today, Dave Lauer. And you guys can definitely check out Irvine Finance. I threw up the link so you guys can go ahead and get on the beta list. I'm on the wait list. I'll be nice. waiting for it. Have a good one, Dave. Thanks. Dave. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right, let's go ahead. Let's take a peek back into the market so you guys can we, see. I kept the we, spy up there for a second. We kind of went full circle here in this. Yeah, full circle. Look at that. Yeah. We went up. Look at what we've done. So we were there. We spiked Dang hard. Nothing. Then we dropped hard, went all the way down to scratch. Now we came right back to where we were basically prior to the numbers. So all that work. And again, as predicted, the chop fest continues. Buying the dip, short and the rips continues to work in this choppy market environment. Yeah, you got to be careful out there. Uh, just wanted to run through the last little headlines that I had. We did have uh, Albertsons that it looks like the Washington ACI, uh, Washington State Court decision removed the temporary restraining order that blocked Albertson from paying the special dividend of about $4 billion. So if you're wondering why you see ACI got a little bit of a pop this morning, that definitely helping there. Um, Again, then, just to clarify, that dividend was already mm -hmm. um, that that's already went X dividend for that. They came in after it had went X dividend, so you can see the big fall in the price from twenty seven down to the twenty one twenty. That was the adjustment period. So, to my understanding, the shareholders buying it today are not getting the dividend. It's the people who bought it back in October. Now, I haven't read all that release. We've been busy here this morning. I am a shareholder in ACI. Um, because I believe that the merger eventually could go through and I don't mind the valuation at this price, but I believe I am not entitled to that dividend because I bought it after that October fall. All right. We'll see what happens there. Uh, that's Albertsons. And then uh, one last one that I wanted to kick, quickly get in is IBM uh, fallen after Morgan Stanley downgrade. This has been strong. It's kind of more of what we call value tech has had a little bit of a pullback since it's run to 150. I've been looking for it to come back into this area. Do you like IBM here? I mean, right now with the growth outlook, I don't think it's the sexiest name, but no. the value names can come back. Maybe IBM can. And, and again, this has been the val crowded value trade here, which is coming off here in 2023. So if you're thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be IBM's year. You know what? No, IBM kind of had its year last year. It was up on the year. So January effect actually means IBM could potentially go down, you know, in the first little parts of this year. So I'm not surprised showing some weakness. The downgrade is not going to help it here. This is not the kind of stock I'd be buying on the dip, at least not right now. And uh, one last pre-announcement today, BGFV, Big Five Sporting Goods given out there. Q4 sales at 238 million point three. Uh, this is down from 273 million point three six million year over year. Um, so that's just showing you how the sales are going down there. Pre-announcement coming in here, BGFV. Huge, huge fall from grace here. Um, I, I, again, we were 59 cents. It looked like the stock was going under 2020. And then we had the ridiculous runs when everybody was doing everything outdoors and COVID lockdowns. And this was a COVID stock. Well, it's come back full circle here now. Um one thing to consider, I know you can look at it, it's a 10% dividend. I'm not sure about that. I don't follow the company close enough to know if that dividend is there, or if it's safe, or what the story is with that. It did ha does have, it is on the high short interest list. 
So that's always a thought process here. And you did see over the course of the last few days, BGFV starting to show some life here. But this is the problem of like chasing all these stocks with high short interest is that a lot of these stocks just aren't great companies, though. So, you know, an FUV, people are finding out the hard way here right now. Um, obviously, the stock was getting a lift here, was on the high short interest list. It lifted yesterday, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, they get a little bit of a lift. The stock goes from $3 to $6, and then they're like, okay, the, the management's like, this is their opportunity to do an offering. And they hammer it with another offering, and stock goes down here now. After hours, it's down 60%. So you can't get married to these positions. If you're trading any of this high short interest stuff, you've got to be cautious. you got to do your best. I mean, sometimes you get hammered with news, and there's nothing you can do about it. But I'm just of the opinion that you still, from an investment standpoint, invest in good companies at reasonable valuations. You can trade anything. But even if you're trading these things, try not to get stuck, you know, or get married to these positions too long because eventually these high short interest rallies, these short squeezes do fizzle out. And eventually these stocks often go lower. We'll see what happens there in Big Five Sporting Good. And the last one, because the chat really wants me to uh, not miss it, is the Charles Schwab. I'm not going to miss that for you guys. Uh, looks like they're reporting here. Of course, uh, they came in, I think, after 8 a.m. Uh, but look how they just got hit there towards 8.50, took the down hit there. Uh, Schwab record, reports record uh, fiscal year earnings per share. 22 revenues grew 12%. To 20.8 adjusted EPS at $3.90. So not seeing much on the downside outlook there, at least from what I see in the earnings. But you can see it here leaking out there, going to the 81. We'll see what happens to Charles. Schwab I have today. not had a chance at all to look at those earnings here yet. So I'll have to limit my comments from the fundamental yeah. basis. I can do a technical on anything. And I mean, you're, we're coming up to a resistance point. This is another stock that has benefited from the rally into some obviously value name schwab lower pe so it is considered a value name not those stocks just aren't the ones that are performing in 2023 though at least not so far yep just be careful there from that value trade and we'll look to see if the dash for trash ends today as well that's it you know continued. that's the question is does this dash for trash continue it's been an impressive run for a lot yeah. of these stocks i just don't know if it's sustainable here some of them it will be like there was probably some diamonds in the rough here that maybe were just too beat up that eventually you know are gonna you know get back to you know a more reasonable valuation so maybe overshot but you know a lot of these companies are just burning cash are still burning cash even though you know they're squeezing even though they're getting the relief pop even though they were oversold maybe in 2022 and now they're not so oversold it's more of an opportunity i think to sell these names as opposed to buy them at this point in time so you know it was a good run for the January effect, it's been a fabulous run for all these growth names. The fast first three weeks here has, you know, these names have really performed well. I think it's just going to take one earnings warning from some tech stock or something. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the you know, a lot could come out of these names as well. So just be cautious if you're trading these things. Like always, team, you always got to be cautious. We never know when the rotation can come, especially no. in names like the Dash for Trash. The rotation can be wicked. We'll see what happens. Very. Even AMC got a little bit of a lift yesterday, so it seems like it's still in play right now. Of course, we got a lot of numbers that came in. Really didn't change things up today, so we're going to keep watching the market, see if we get back above the 400. Close above that. 
definitely the Bulls still have control in my eyes. That's what I'll be watching. Any last levels that you'll be looking for, Dennis, in, in the um, market? The chop fest get- continues. I do think, you know, obviously we've gotten to 4,000 here on the S&P. I mean, we mm-hmm. kissed it on SPY yesterday at 423. That was kind of our target, you know, that we had talked about. Is there room to 410? I think there is. But as you continue to go higher here, the bear case builds. Because I'm, I'm like, you know, we were oversold. We needed a relief pop. We kind of got yep. that January effect has kind of propelled us higher. Now we come into this earnings season. Are the earnings going to be good? Or are they not going to be so good? I mean, some of them are reporting not so great earnings and they're turning around and buying the stocks anyways here. So, I mean, if they can continue to do that, maybe we can continue this run to 410. But I just feel like it's not as simple as it was maybe two weeks ago when we are in early January and these names were oversold. Now it gets a little bit, you know, this is some of these... Stocks have come up substantially here. I start to leaning more looking at, you know, where to sell stocks as opposed to maybe what to buy. And starting to get closer towards the oversold conditions that turned us around last time or overbought conditions that turned us around last yeah. time. Yeah. Side to 75 on that pop when we went to 407. Uh, we're right now around 69. So I think we could still have a couple more days here until, I mean, until we get to extreme overbought but definitely starting to get towards that area and just keeping that in mind i mean look at a stock like coinbase and we can stick just for a minute yeah. i'm gonna let you get going but no I mean, the stock here one two three four five and seven trading sessions has went from 31 to 54 yeah. the stock is up 70 percent in seven trading sessions 70 now yeah. is not the time to buy now if you're buying you are doing it backwards i'm gonna say it you've got the momentum guys like oh here we go we're breaking out the thing just ran up 70 percent in a little over a week if -hmm. there's any definition of chasing this is in the textbook for it so i can't come in here and say yeah coinbase is going out bitcoin has come back obviously you know what the driver has been here you know because that room to 60 maybe you know but again the rally you know you think you're gonna get i would think you're gonna get an inevitable pullback here eventually you know, in this name, that's just been a little bit too much too fast. And a lot of these stocks all look the same. It's not just the crypto stocks. There's a lot of them that really moon. I mean, MSTR, just giving another crypto one, 132 yeah. to 235 in two weeks. January effect came. January effect has given you a lot of money here. I think the time now is to ring the register. Yep. And like I talk about on RSI, I feel like it's only has edge when we're in extreme moments, either oversold or extreme overbought. You can clearly see that on these two names. Coin has only ever been up here once. And that was when we did that kind of breakout on the IPO where we were pushed up there towards 360s and then turned around from then. But it hasn't ever been up here. So that just shows me more and more. Yeah, definitely overbought soon the turn, but doesn't mean that it has to happen today, right? That's also one thing to keep in mind. Nothing has to happen. It's just more long description. And that's why I use more that technical and indicators. It's not to tell me, hey, I need to get in at the specific level. No, it's just to kind of give description. Yeah, you can clearly see this is the extreme moment for certain stocks. Growth stocks, we'll look to see if they continue. ARK, ARKK has been really strong. Will this run continue? We'll find out today. Have a good one, Dennis. Go do what you do best, my friend. Go get to your trading action. Good luck, everyone. Thanks for a great chat. Thanks to Dave Lauer for coming on. Fantastic show. Back at you tomorrow. Back with you. All right. We're going to keep going. We'll get you over to live trading. That's coming up next. Don't miss it. Lord uh, Ryan Zunaid is back into the hot chair. I will be there also. Let's find out what happens in today's market. Will we continue to ride up through that 400? 
find out, is this a bigger move than we all expected? Or is this just January effect? You guys heard it from Dennis. He thinks it's more January effect. But of course, others out there think it's a little bit bigger than that. We'll just have to wait and find out. Like always, hit the like if you guys appreciated today's show. And always, you guys can find our earnings calendar to stay up with the earnings on our Twitter. Give us a follow at, of course, Benzinga on Twitter. If you're not following, you're missing out, team. We'll see you guys over on live trading. Hit the like on your way out.